did. Yeah, we did. Okay, first rule of ministry, listen, never take yourself too seriously because nobody else is. Let's be honest. Yeah, welcome to 70s Summer Series at Next Level Church, baby. Woo, yeah. Wow, you guys, this is who do you think you are, and I am just excited to no end about what we're going to be experiencing over the next several weeks, and not just in fun and humor and laughing and all of that stuff, but guys, honestly, I'm so excited about the content of this series, and you know, of course, we're doing the whole 70s groove, you know, theme, the whole deal, and it's fun, it's going to be great, but it's funny because even as I was thinking about the 70s and when I lived them... Uh, I mean, Sesame Street, <laughs> Just kidding. I was born in 75, and I was like preparing this introduction about the 70s going, what? Yeah, I can really stand up here with authority and talk about the 70s. So anyway, some older people, come on up, come on up. No, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, you know, the 70s were kind of that, uh, I hear, was kind of that decade where, you know, people were trying to find themselves and trying to, you know, figure out who they were, all of that. And the truth is, 40-some whatever years later, I don't know that much has changed in our culture. You know, you look around our culture today and you see, you see people, young and old, who are still trying to find themselves, still trying to, to figure out who they are. And so for us as a leadership team, as a pastoral staff, we basically got together several months ago and said, we have to address this issue. We have to address this issue that, that we are a generation, and there, there, there are generations now emerging, the, the teenagers, the 20-somethings, 30-somethings, all of, we, we are living in a day and age where the culture is trying as hard as it can to define who we are. And we in the church world have to, number one, be aware of this, but secondly, not just be aware of it, but we have to come and actually begin to bring light to this. We have to speak truth to this. And so guys, that's what this series is all about. We're going to be looking into the pages of this book, the Bible, the original truth, the original book that tells us who we are. Because we believe that if we can figure out, according to God's word, who God says we are, it will change everything about our lives. And matter of fact, if you wanted a principle, a kind of a big underlying idea of what this entire series is going to be focused around and centered on, it would be this concept, that beliefs determine decisions and decisions determine outcomes. Beliefs determine decisions and decisions determine outcomes. If you ask somebody, if you talk to somebody, they'll tell you that there's probably some area of their life or whatever where they want different outcomes, where they wish it was different, that they wish there could be change in, in some area or in some relationship or something. But the reality is most all of us want different outcomes in our life. But if we're being real honest with ourselves, we have no idea how to get different outcomes. And at best, if we can try and scramble around and scratch around and figure it out, the best we can come up with is I need my actions to change. I need to make different decisions in my life to get different outcomes. But the, but the problem is, and many of us know exactly what I'm talking about today, the problem is that if all we ever do is get to the decision level of our life, over an extended period of time, we end up going back to old patterns of thinking, old patterns of behavior, and we end up with all the same outcomes that we've always had. So what we're going to do in this series for the next six weeks is we're going to dig into this book, the Bible, God's Word, and we're going to dig down to the belief level of our heart, of our being, and we're going to begin to discover what God says about who we are. 
And I believe that as our beliefs, at the, at the belief level, as our beliefs begin to change and begin to line up with this book like never before, I believe that it will affect every other area of our life. Our outcomes will be different, not because we've chosen to make different decisions, but because we've chosen at the belief level to change how we think of ourselves. So if you have your Bible, I would love for you to turn with me to the book of Genesis today. Genesis chapter 32, because I, I want to start this series by looking at a guy in the Bible whose beliefs about himself were all messed up. That when he thought about himself, he, he did not have an accurate view according to God's word of who he was. He didn't know who he was. And this guy's name is Jacob. If you don't have a Bible, the verses will be on the screen around me. Because I want us to look at the story of Jacob. And, and while you're turning to Genesis 32, let me give a little bit of background information. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. And Abraham, some of us know Abraham if we've been around church or Bible study very long. We, we've heard of, of this guy, Abraham. And basically, God chose Abraham and his, his lineage, his line, his family tree to become the people of God in the Old Testament, that, that it was God's desire to, to put his hand on Abraham and then Abraham's son Isaac and then Isaac's son Jacob to create the, the children of God. The problem was when it hit Jacob's generation, Jacob wasn't doing a very good job. And as you study Jacob's life, starting in Genesis 25, you discover that this Jacob guy was not a good guy at all. Matter of fact, the Bible records that he, in Genesis 25 that he was born a twin. There was Jacob and there was Esau. And Esau came out first. And the Bible records that when Esau came out, Jacob was clinging to Esau's foot. And from that moment on, that marked his life to the point that they named Jacob, Jacob. Which in the Hebrew language means deceiver, usurper, undercutter, liar. Our English word would be deceiver. So from birth... This man is labeled a deceiver. Who did Jacob think he was as he grew up? He, he thought that he was a liar. He thought that he was a manipulator. He thought that he was a usurper, an undercutter, a, a, a deceiver. And so Jacob grows and he, he grows into manhood. And all through his life, he can't get past who he thinks he is, which is I'm a deceiver. And he's undercutting Esau. He tricks Esau at one point into giving him the birthright in their culture. Being firstborn was everything. And Jacob tricks Esau into giving him the birthright instead of keeping it for himself. Later on, as, as his father Isaac was going blind, he tricks Isaac into giving him the blessing of the family. So at every turn, Jacob can't get past himself. And he tries, and he tries to change the decision zone of his life to get different outcomes. But every time he tries to make a different decision, it never works out right. So when we pick up the story in Genesis 32, Jacob, this whole deal has come to a breaking point. And Jacob finds himself at a life or death circumstance. He has once again undercut, usurped, and deceived his older brother Esau. And now Esau is mad. And he is coming to get him. And where we pick up the story in Genesis 32, starting in verse 9, this is the night before the next morning when Esau is coming to have a throwdown at the hoedown. You know what I'm talking about. It's, it's going it's gonna to happen. It's going to get bloody. It's going to get ugly. Esau is coming to take Jacob's life. And so Jacob is at, is at his wit's end. Jacob finds himself at this place where he's going, I don't know where else to turn. And so what does he do? He turns to God. Let's look at it together. Genesis chapter 32, starting in verse 9, it says this. Then Jacob prayed. This is Jacob at his wit's end, praying the night before Esau's coming to kill him. 
Oh, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper, verse 10, he's praying, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two camps. In other words, God, there's a whole bunch at stake here, let me remind you. Verse 11, save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and not just me, Lord, but the mothers and the children. Can you hear it in his voice? Even in the sincere moment of prayer, where he's found himself and he's going, I, I don't know where else to turn, I'm going to turn to God. He still can't get past himself. He's trying to deceive and manipulate God. He's trying to Eddie Haskell God right here. Oh, Mrs. Cleaver, the mothers and the children. That's what he's doing. Look, verse 12, but you have said, I will surely, you, Lord, let me remind you what you said to me. I will surely make you prosper, not die by your brother's hand, and will make your descendants like the sands of the sea, which can't be counted. Jacob can't get past himself. He can't get past who he thinks he is. Verse 13, he spent the night there. And from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. Oh, I got an idea. I'll try and bribe him. Look at his bribe. 200 female goats and 20 male goats. 200 ewes and 20 rams. 30 female camels with their young. 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys, Two calling birds and a French hen and a partridge and a pear tree. What's he doing? He's trying to bribe, bribe his brother Esau. Look, verse 16. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself. We'll space them out. And he said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between you. In other words, I'm going to send you over to Esau and just one after another after another. I just want this parade of livestock to just flood Esau. Look, verse 17. He instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do, who do you belong to and where are you going and what's with all the animals? <laughs> Verse 18, here's what you're supposed to say to them. This is Jacob talking to his servant, setting them up for the bribe. Then you're to say, they belong to your, look at this, servant, Jacob. Not the one who's been clinging to your heel since birth. Not the one who's tried to manipulate you and, and usurp you and undercut you and has lied to you and deceived you all your life. Not that one. Your servant, Jacob. Can't you hear it? He can't get past himself. They are a gift sent to, look at this, my Lord, Esau. You tell him that we're all just here to serve his lordship and wonderfulness. And at the end of this parade, the grand marshal's coming. Jacob can't wait to meet you. Do you like the camels? Jacob can't get past who he thinks he is. He sends all of his servants, all of his livestock and animals. Verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives. Two wives? Different message. <laughs> his, two, 
his two female servants, let it go. His 11 sons, 11 sons, different message, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So what's going on here? Jacob is basically sending everybody across. All family, all, all servants, all possessions, all livestock, everybody away because I've got to get alone with God. Jacob knew that his days of trying to change the decision to get a different outcome were over. He knew that if God didn't intervene in this moment, by the next morning, he was a dead man. So he sends everybody away and says, I've got to get alone with God. Verse 24, so Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Okay, how can you be alone but wrestle with someone? Well, theologians tell us as they study this passage that this man that's spoken of here in Scripture was not a human being. That Jacob was indeed alone. But, but again, theologians tell us that this, this being that Jacob wrestled with was a pre-Jesus personification of God. So Jacob is left alone. No livestock, no servants, no family, no possessions, just him and God. And it says that in that moment, Jacob wrestled with God all night long. Verse 25. When the man, God, saw that he could not overpower him. He touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with this man. The, 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 Jacob's hip goes out of socket and he's just in excruciating pain all night long as he's wrestling with this man. Verse 26, then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob is desperate. He says, no God, you don't understand. I can't let you go this time. I can't do this. You have to change me at the belief level. You have to change who I am. Or I'm never going to make it. Verse 27. So the man asked him, What is your name? Okay. Was God confused? Had they, I mean, okay, you ever, you ever, you know, you're talking to someone that you met, and you're kind of all into it, and you're having this good, deep conversation, and then like an hour in, they're like, I'm sorry, what was your name again? <laughs> Seriously? I thought we were, I thought we were connecting, Brett. It's Bart. Sorry. <laughs> is that what's, is that what's going on here? No, not at all. What's going on here is, God knew. That in order for Jacob to change who he thought he was, he had to first admit who he was. So as they're wrestling and the sun is beginning to rise, the man, God, looks at Jacob and he says, Jacob, tell me your name. 
tell me your name. And in that moment, Jacob looks at God. And he says with all rawness, with all that is within him, with all that has plagued him for decades, my name is deceiver, liar. You want to know who I am, God? You want to know? I'm a manipulator. I'm a usurper. I'm an undercutter. I'm the one that everyone labels liar and deceiver. I'm the bad kid. You happy now? That's who I am. And God looks back in verse 28. And he says, not anymore. You think you're a liar and a cheater and a usurper and a deceiver. From now on, you'll no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with human beings and have overcome. You are no longer who you think you are. And on the surface, it can look like this is just a simple name change. But in this moment, something supernatural is taking place. And that thing that is supernatural that's taking place is God is changing Jacob at the heart level. At the belief level, he is saying you are no longer who you think you are. You're no longer a deceiver. You are an overcomer. That's who you are. And then Jacob turns it back on him. Verse 29, Jacob said, tell me your name. And God replies, why do you want to know? Who's asking? But then look at this. Then, the Bible records, he blessed him. The one thing Jacob had wanted all his life was the blessing of the Father. The one thing that he had spent decades of his life deceiving and manipulating and usurping to have was the blessing. And it was only after God changed Jacob from deceiver to overcomer, it was only after that that God said, now, now that you know who you are, now I can bless you. Verse 30. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Jacob, now Israel, walks away from this night changed. Why? Because he had an encounter with God. And forever, who he thought he was would be different. So what's this mean for us? Well, four things. First of all, I think we have to understand that God wants to change who we are. 
God wants to change who we are. Not just what we do, not just the outcomes of our life. God wants to change us at the belief level. That's what God wants to do. And I believe that there are some of us who are here today, some of us who are listening today or watching online today, and listen, you for your entire life have thought that a relationship with God was all about decisions and doing and outcomes. But I want you to know today that that is not at all what this thing called a relationship with Jesus is all about. You know what it's about? It's a change of identity. It's, it's not just about doing better, trying harder, working harder, giving more, serving more, doing more. No, 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 no. It's not about decisions. It's not even about outcomes, living a good life and all of that. No, you know what it's about? It's about at a belief level, understanding once and for all who the God says we are. And understanding that God wants to change us from the inside out. Number two, what does this have to do with us? It's, it's recognizing that God wants to change who we are, but it's, it's recognizing that it starts with what we believe about ourselves. Jacob believed he was a deceiver. And he had been labeled that his entire life. What about us? Who do we think we are? Who have people labeled us to be for our entire lives? Well, you're just the ugly one. You're the failure. The not quite good enough. The skinny one. The fat one. The dumb one. The screw up. The short one. reckless one the one incapable of change the unlovable one the unworthy one who have people labeled you all your life to be who do you think you are Third, what does this mean for us? It, it means that it's going to require a supernatural work of God in our lives. Next level, church, listen. I believe that the next six weeks, as we walk through this series, could be, could be some of the most life-changing weeks of our entire lives. Because some of us have been carrying around a label like Jacob, forever. And we have believed in our heart that we're not good enough, that we're not qualified enough, that we're unlovable, that we're unworthy. We have believed that. And I believe in the next few weeks together here in our time that God wants to completely rearrange that. 
But it requires a supernatural thing to happen. See, for Jacob, it took a life or death circumstance. God doesn't want that for us. He doesn't want to have to bring us to a place where our, our older brother's going to kill us to get our attention. No, you know what he wants? He's simply looking for us to take a step toward him and say, okay, God, I'm ready. Change me from the inside out, not just my decisions and my outcomes. God, change who I believe I am about myself. Because when we change who we think we are, it affects everything else in our lives. See, when we change who we think we are, first of all, it affects how we think we are. In other words, our state of being. When we change who we, we think we are, not according to the world, not according to the culture, not according to voices of the past, when we begin to change who we think we are according to God's word, it will change how you and I approach life. How we see ourselves determines how we carry ourselves. You ever meet somebody who has a, a poverty mindset, has a poor mindset? Maybe it's from the way they were raised, maybe it's from experiences of the past, whatever. But, but the kind of person that no matter how much God blesses them, no matter how much you know, money they have, it's never enough. You talk to them and it's like, how's it going? Well, you know, just... You know, they just, like, they, like they just, they just are, will always see themselves poor. They have a poor mindset. You're like, stop it. You just want to shake them. Or the person who, the success thing. They never think they're successful enough. They never think they're, they're doing good. It's like, you know, how, hey, how's it going? Well, you're number one in sales. And they're like, yeah, I know, but it could all be gone tomorrow. See, Jacob grew up believing that who he thought he was was the bad kid. And so how he carried himself in his life was, I'm the bad kid. I'm the deceiver. See, who we think we are affects how we think we are. Secondly, who we think we are affects why we think we are. In other words, our purpose. Let's see, when you and I don't have an accurate picture of who we are in Christ, then, then we don't know why we're here. That we, we don't know why God has put us in, in where we are, when we are, why we are. We, we have no, it's like, it's like having a picture without a frame. It's, it's, it's understanding our purpose in Christ it has everything to do with framing up this picture that God is painting in our life. And without the framework, without the purpose, without the why, it's just colors splashed on a canvas that's laying flippantly around. But see, when you and I understand why, who, who we are, it affects why we are. And when we change who we think we are, it affects what we think we are. In other words, our destiny. In one night, Jacob went from being a deceiver to a man who believed he was worthy of changing history. And here's what I believe. I believe that each and every one of us today are worthy of changing history. 
the history of our family tree, the history of our bloodline, the history of our marriage, the history of our kids' future. I think every one of us today are worthy of changing history. So the question this morning at the beginning of this series is, who do you think you are? We have a choice today. When we line up our lives in front of what we've heard, the truth of God's word today, the question that each and every one of us seated where we are today have to wrestle with is who do you think you are? And are you willing to trade who you thought you were all your life for who God says? right now, across this room, we pause. The stillness of this moment, we reflect on your love, we reflect on your grace, we reflect on who you say we are. So God, would you come down in the next few moments as we are just still before you and do business in our hearts today, we give you permission, God, to rearrange our thinking. In Jesus' name.